Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. But uh, we're, we're big too here at Fountain Church in regards to honoring our past as we move forward into the future. I think, you know, we, we take a weekend like this where we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King's life and legacy. And it's so easy just to think it's just a three-day weekend and, and forget the sacrifice and the price and the cost um, of, you know, so many that, that have gone before us. Um, there was a price that was paid for us to experience life the way that we have it. We still got a long way to go, um, but it's important that we remember um, and, and we, we really grab a hold of some of those key aspects that we can make a difference, um, make an eternal difference in our time and the day that God has called us to stand in. And um, so, so I, I want to pray. I think it's really, really fitting as we, we dive into uh, um, continuing our series entitled Soul Hungry. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Matt. My wife, Jack, and I were the lead pastors here, and we're grateful that you're here and chose to spend your Sunday with us. Um, but I, I want to talk to you for a few minutes around this idea of, of breaking chains, breaking chains. So I think it's really appropriate that um, Dr. King kind of led the way as we, uh, we dive into God's Word. So Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to receive everything that you have for us, that you'd open up our hearts and our minds. Lord, as we, your, your Word is open, Spirit of God, would you, would you just illuminate us? Lord, would you help us to see the things that maybe we haven't seen before and help us to really catch your heart as we hear your word? Um, I pray that faith would increase in our hearts, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, we're not here for a dead religion. We're not here to go through just a religious routine. God, we're here because we know that you're alive and you're able to change us, not by do's and don'ts, Lord. You're able to change us from the inside out, that your law would be a delight to our life. And so, Lord, we, we submit this time before you. We love you and we thank you. And we pray, Lord, that even as, as, a, as a church, as a community, Lord, as a nation, Lord, we still have so far to go um, in regards to racial reconciliation, in regards to just some of the things that we face. That's just a reality. Whether we like it or not, it's a reality. Let us be courageous as a church to model um, your heart and, and your life as we stand in this gap. And we just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, uh, it was kind of an interesting week for me. I had strep throat all week, so that was, uh, that was fun. Uh, thank God for antibiotics when you need them. Are you guys, you guys with me? Um, so if you're, if you're a little under the weather today, I'm with you in spirit. I feel you. Um, but I really believe God has a, a word in season for us today, and, uh, and I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that when you're laid up, you have a little bit more free time, especially, you know, I had a fever for three days, and so when you have a fever for that long, you start seeing things, it's, it, you know, <laughs> life just, it's just, things get weird, uh, but, but one of the things, you have a lot of time to, to either listen or to watch some things, and I'm not a big fiction guy, I'm, I'm, I love real life. And so it's not uncommon for me to be on Netflix, and I'm, I'm more mainly watching documentaries and, and things of that sort that uh, just kind of intrigued me. And I came across one story. There was a movie made about this guy. His name is Frank Ab Abagnale. And, uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio plays, um, plays the role of Frank Abagnale in the movie Catch Me If You Can. Let me just show you a, a picture of him. And it, it was really cool because I, I watched the movie and then I listened to his talk at Google, and I thought it was just really fascinating that um, 
this guy's story is really, you know, it's, it's made its way around the globe. But where it starts, I, I think, is really, it, it's interesting because his, his parents uh, announced that they were getting a divorce and they were going to mediation. And, you know, it's really tough on, on a kid, I think 16 years old, when they have to go and they actually have to say, you know, who they want to live with, mom or dad. And so as he was put in that position as a 16-year-old kid, he just decided he wasn't going to answer that question, and he just ran out of the mediation room and never went back home. And so the only thing he had was some checks that his dad, his dad had opened up a bank account for him, and so he had some checks that, that he had made. I'm not endorsing this movie, by the way, just to say. Um, but, but he went into the, to, to banks, and he tried to cash the text checks, and he realized that, man, they're not taking me seriously because I look so young and no banks really wanted to cash his checks, so he started to, to realize that people in uniform got uh, a, a lot of respect and honor. So he found a, a pilot uniform for Pan Am Airlines. Anybody remember Pan Am Airlines? And uh, found a pilot uniform and just found that it just gave him an extra set of authority. He would walk into a bank and there'd be no questions asked. Sir, we're so grateful that you're banking with us. Yeah, we'd be happy to cash that check for you. And, and so, so this went on. He traveled the world for free uh, before he was the age of 22, just traveled all over the world. And don't get any ideas, anybody. And, uh, and became one of the greatest check fraudulent people on the planet. He, he, his checks were so good that the FBI just could not, I mean, they, they were real checks. I mean, it was just incredible how much of a master he was at this. And, and then, you know, he got tired of the pilot thing, so then he later forged his, his doctor credentials and became a doctor at a hospital. Um, and so really worked on staff at a hospital, uh, which is pretty ironic. And then he met a girl. And he went to Louisiana. Her father was the, uh, the district attorney for Louisiana. And, uh, and he said, oh, yeah, I actually took law back in Berkeley and, and studied for two weeks, passed the bar exam, became a lawyer in, um, in, in Louisiana. And then, obviously, he got caught. Uh, the FBI came to him just a couple of years in, said, hey, listen, son, we want to wipe your sentence if you'll come and work for us. So currently, he's been with the FBI for over 40 years, and uh, just, just a, a crazy story, crazy story. But can I just tell you that that pain causes us, pain will cause us to do some crazy things. And, and there, there's no success that you can find or discover that will, will cover the pain. I mean, even as a young man, back in, 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 this, in his day, I think it was back in the 70s, I mean, he was, he was forging millions and millions of dollars. But it just it never was enough. It wasn't enough to, to cover the pain. I, I think we see uh, people like Aaron Hernandez. Many of you guys may know him. He played for the New England Patriots. $40 million contract. But the guy just was wrestling with so much pain. And, and you, you, can, you can load somebody up with money, you can load them up with opportunity, but if that pain, unresolved pain on the inside of us, it, unresolved pain has a 100% resurrection rate. Can I just tell you that? And, and I think we all know how it feels to, to go through some pain. We've all experienced pain in our life, and I think we, we also know how it feels to put a mask on. We know how it feels to, to put on a front or, or to project something that we're actually not. In a means to cover up whatever that is, in the means, in, in, in the means of trying to find some significance, trying to feel like, man, I, I'm really valuable. Has, any, has anybody ever, ever experienced that? And in that process, what ends up happening is it leaves us soul hungry. 
We, we may have everything going for us in a lot of different ways, but if our soul is still hungry, it affects us on, on every single level. You know, there, there was a man that, we, we, that I mentioned briefly last week, and his name was Jacob. He is the son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham. And what's interesting about Jacob is I, I kind of gave you his highlight reel that, that he was a man that said, Lord, here I am. But Jacob wasn't, that wasn't just an easy posture for Jacob. Jacob wrestled a lot in his life to fight for that posture with God that would say, here I am. And Jacob had some wounds. Jacob got, you know, he experienced some wounds on the journey that, that led him to, to act like somebody he wasn't. It led him to a place of, of really being an imposter, and a lot of it stemmed from his childhood. And I would say that one of the key things was probably rejection. A rejection wound is hard to navigate. It's, it's one of the most difficult things that you and I face as a human being. As we have to look rejection in the face, it's not an easy thing especially when we've been rejected from those that we admire, from those that we love, or even from those who are maybe in authority or who should love us. And so I, I want to talk to you a little bit about rejection today. We pick up Jacob's story in Genesis chapter 25. We're going to be in three places today, Genesis 25, Genesis 27, and Genesis 32 for all you type A's. Um, Isaac prayed to the Lord. Now, Isaac was Jacob's father. He prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Scripture continues, and it says that the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people groups from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, now, this is an interesting word from the Lord. It's an interesting prophetic word because in this culture, the older would have never served the younger. You see, a lot of times um, you, you see in Scripture, like Luke chapter 15, uh, the story of the prodigal son where uh, the older son is really normally the one who would inherit everything when the father had passed away. And the younger would never serve the older. The older would always be in charge of the younger. The, the younger would always serve the older. The older would never serve the younger. Now, now, what would happen in this culture is when the father passed away, the older would get the inheritance, right, He as the firstborn. But it wasn't just because, you know, the father didn't love any of his other kids. No, the, the oldest would get the inheritance because now he's in charge of, of the family. He's the one that has to provide for the family. And so it wasn't like he just gets, you know, all this stuff and, hey, sorry, guys. It's, a lot of times the way we think about it when people die today was a lot different back then. It wasn't like, hey, somebody dies, all this opportunity comes up, everybody gets money hungry. It was different back then. It was, no, it was still about family. It was still about, man, how do, we, how do we work this? However, I mean, there still was greed. And, and we see in the story of the prodigal son, the younger son was like, man, I want my inheritance. Give it to me. So that still existed. But, but it was very rare that, that, that God would say something like this, the older will serve the younger. It, it, was, it, was a, it was a promise. So the scripture continues, and it says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Come on, anybody come out like a hairy garment? <laughs> come on, hey, you know that some babies, they just come out full heads of hair, and then some of them are like, they're going to grow hair. <laughs> What's going on? 
But it says, so they named him Esau. Now, this is also interesting to me because I think, you know, in, in Bible times, you look at names, and names were significant. I mean, they, they would mean something in, in Bible days, right? So you want to name your son or your daughter something strong. But, but I, I don't know, maybe they had a rough day. Maybe it was just a, a, a long pregnancy. So they named him Esau, which simply means Harry. That's all it means. There's nothing more significant to that name. It just means Harry. So the passage continues, and, and it says, After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. This is Jacob now. And so he was named Jacob. Now, Jacob, uh, the name Jacob, it means, it means heel grabber. It means deceiver. Um, so that's, that's also an, an interesting name, right? Like, hey, he's Harry. He's grabbing heels. Let's name him that, right? <laughs> Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So, so here, here Jacob's grabbing already, grabbing Esau's heel, and, and there's a tug of war. The passage continues, and we're going to be in our Bibles a lot today. And as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, temperament preferring to stay at home. So in other words, we had one that liked to hunt, kind of like the outdoors, maybe one that liked computers a little bit more, a little bit more just like to be at home, um, just, just, diff, just totally different. And, and if you have kids, you know that not one is the same. They, they may like some of the same things, but they're all so uniquely different, and that's so great. Except as parents, we kind of lose our minds sometimes. And, and we don't always make the right choices, and we don't always say the right things. And so as the scripture continues, you'll see there's some dysfunction because Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that he brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Can I, can I just tell you, listen, if you're parents in here, or if you're maybe an aunt, an uncle, a niece, or, or you, you have relatives, can I just tell you, it's not a good idea as a parent to have favorites. Like, like I know some of you do, and you'll never admit it. Like, man, I just wish I would have had three of one of them. Like, I like one of them and one of them. But listen, if, if you are a little bit dysfunctional and you have favorites, listen, just don't tell your kids. Like, keep that inside. Work that out with God. Because I, I, wonder, I wonder if Jacob, listen, I wonder if Jacob really wrestled with having a father wound. Because listen, man, the love of a mother is so important, but man, for a son, the love of the dad, I mean, it's, it's just so vital. And Jacob grew up his life realizing that I am not Esau. And my, my dad loves Esau. And, and I think all of us, we, we, we can understand how it feels to maybe have a father or a mother, maybe a leader, maybe some of that, that we've looked up to that we've admired maybe a pastor, maybe a mentor, maybe somebody that, that we just, we long for the approval of, but somewhere down the road, they disappointed us, not just because they let us down, but because we felt the sense of rejection from them. Like, like they may have not even have said they had favorites, but you knew. They may have not even have vocalized it, but you just felt this gravity. Some of it may have been lies from the enemy. Some of it may, may have been true, but you just felt this, this reality that if I was only a little bit more like, and you can fill in that blank, that maybe, maybe, maybe I, I would have been accepted. Maybe I would have been embraced. Maybe, maybe if I could have just, you know, 
passed that test. Maybe if I could have just got a little bit better grades. And it started to, to, to maybe affect your identity a little bit. And you thought, man, the only way that I'm going to be successful is if I'm Esau. And so you, you've kind of, you know, you, you struggled. You wrestled throughout your life kind of striving with people, striving within yourself, striving maybe even with God, and just trying to figure this out. And you're just like, man, and, and Jacob felt this. And so, so, you know, for Jacob, he's like, man, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get your birthright. And, and there was a time where Esau was really hungry, and Jacob said, hey, you, you want this soup? You like this soup, bro? Look at this. Mm, smells good. <laughs> give me your birthright, and I'll give, you, I'll give you the soup. Now, why would Esau do that in a moment of desperation, maybe not thinking that, that it meant much? But sure enough, he traded his birthright for a bowl. And now Esau's going to be like, man, he, uh, Jacob's going to take it to a whole other level. He's like, no, I got your birthright now. Now I'm going after your blessing. Now I'm going to go after your blessing. Can I just tell you, rejection, it's, 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 it's super powerful. If you've experienced it at any level, it'll mess with you. It will mess with you. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Now, a lot of times when we're dealing with rejection, when you find a wound of rejection, you will find approval addiction or an approval deflection. Meaning, meaning you'll, you'll find, wherever there's a wound of rejection, you'll find somebody addicted to approval. I desperately need approval. Or you'll find the opposite. They're like, forget it. I don't need approval from anybody. Approval deflection. Now, now here, here's the interesting thing. They both come from the same wound. One appears to, to, to be okay. The other one appears to be a little bit more needy and is willing to manipulate and do whatever they can to make sure that they actually feel some type of significance, some type of worth. But, but approval deflection, they're doing the same thing. It just looks different. See, both of these, both of these need a disguise. Whether it's approval addiction or approval deflection, both of them need a disguise in order to survive, to survive. Both of them have to dress their life up to give a personification of something so that they can try to figure out a way to deal with that wound. Well, Genesis chapter 27, if we kind of continue in the story, <clears throat> excuse me, and it says, one day when, e when Isaac was an old man turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and he said, my son, Yes, Father Esau replied, I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. So take your bow and your quiver full of arrows and go into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Continue. And it says, prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, continue, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game, prepare me a delicious meal, then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Come on, this is, this is where, where Rebekah says, listen to me, son. It's one of those conversations. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're about to do some shady stuff right now. I need you to listen to me. Because we're about to go in. And I want you to do exactly as I tell you. The passage continues. And it says, get out, uh, get out to the flocks and bring me two fine goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it 
and bless you before he dies. Can I just say, listen, once again to parents, we have the possibility to mess up our kids, man. I mean, really, really think about what's happening here. I mean, there's so many times I look at my kids and, and I see them responding in a negative way and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Right? Or I see them operating in a more negative way and I'm like, that's their mom. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, kind of, kind of kidding. But we, we, went to, uh, we went to the Fresno Zoo, changing subjects, moving right along. It's called a transition, people. That's what pastors do. We, we make a point and we transition real quickly. Um, we were at the, uh, at the Fresno Zoo uh, just like, like a couple last month. Uh, oh, no, this month, actually, this month. And, uh, and we, we were walking in. I was preaching at a conference, and uh, I, I left my, my, like, my play-around shoes. Like, I have my church shoes, and then I have my play-around shoes. So if you're wondering, like, how are your shoes always so white? It's because I only wear them once a week. Uh, it's, it's a great plan. Certain, you may have your dress shoes for church. I have my Air Force Ones for church. Um, this is how it works. So, so but, but we, we were at the zoo, and, and all of a sudden, we, we walked into the, uh, the petting area. And I only had my white Air Force Ones, right? So I was like, <laughs> animals are great, <laughs> right? But what I noticed, I, I, all of a sudden, I saw my oldest daughter doing the same thing. She's like, Dad, I don't want to be in here in my shoes. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> we can't create this, right? Because we like to get dirty as a family, too. Like, we like to, you know, like, I want my girls to be able to, like, put on a dress and then, you know, roll in the dirt. Let's go camping. And so, so I had to explain to her, I'm like, no, listen, daddy only takes care of his white shoes because they're for Sundays, but I have my, you know, I have some of my beat up shoes that, you know, see, you know, and I had to like explain this to her when we got home and I just started kicking dirt on my shoes. See, it's okay. Like you can get dirty. And, and Jackie looked at me like, you're rubbing off on her. And so, so we don't know sometimes like what we're doing, I mean, essentially what she's saying to, to her son is you, you were born at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, you really need to be like your brother Esau. Like, like, like so much so. And, and on top of that, forgetting the promise of God. Like what she's communicating to her boy is, hey, listen, God's promise and process really don't matter. We need to make our way. We need to make it happen. Like, like we know what God has said, but we need to make it happen. And, and that's what's so sad because, listen, God's promise and process, it doesn't matter when you were born, if you were born first or last. It didn't matter if, man, if you like computers or hunting, right? What matters is what God had spoken, that, that the, the older is going to serve the younger. And, and, and if God said it, man, it, it doesn't matter how, that, how we think or, 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 or how the pieces or the, the, the dice may fall according to, to our wisdom. No, if God said it, God has a process and his promise never fails. And so, so she's teaching her son, like, don't rely on God. And let's do whatever we can to try to get this blessing. Now, now he doesn't want to be rejected by his mom now. I mean, sometimes we just read through the story so fast. And we forget that these are humans. Like, so now, so now like, my, my, my dad, I know he loves Esau more than me. He probably still loves me, and, I, like, I get that, but he definitely loves. But my mom has been, like, my, my ride or die. And now I'm kind of in this with her. 
And so he doesn't want to face that rejection, but he starts to have a check in his spirit. Look what he tells his mom. He says, but, but look, Jacob replied to Rebecca, my, my brother Esau, he's a hairy man. And my skin is smooth, right? <laughs> what if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Like, this just doesn't sound like it's going to go in a good direction, mom, right? But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do whatever, just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. You know, I, I just, it, it's, it's funny to me because you see this, he's, again, he's wrestling. Jacob's life was a lot of wrestle. A lot of it was wrestling with people. And he's wrestling inside of himself, and he's trying to, like, oh, man, I, I'm just not sure, like, if this is a good idea, but you'll take the curse. Uh, it's starting to sound, like, a, a little bit better. But listen, when you and I are battling rejection, when we refuse to deal with those wounds, because I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm telling you, some of us are so good at covering them up. Like, we are so good. And even those of you guys have been walking with Jesus for a long time, you know how to church it up. You know how, how, to, you know, you know, you know how to, 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 to make your wounds look like trophies. As if you have dealt with them, but they're, they're still not dealt with. Right? And, and I'm not saying, listen, when you come to Christ, yeah, positionally, you're set free. But there's still a process of sanctification that God is working out in us. Right? And so, so when those wounds are not dealt with, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, we start to become subject to deception. And, and, and that's the first chain. That is the first chain. We start to listen to the wrong voices. We start to take heed to the, to the lies of the enemy. We start to say things. Now, this sounds really cheesy. We start to say things like, I'm not good enough. And, and I know that sounds real cheesy because, you know, we're... We're taught our, our whole life, listen, if you don't think you're good enough, you're good enough. And, but, but a lot of us, we have that in our grandstand. Like, I did so many ridiculous things as a kid because of deception. I, I, I did so many ridiculous things. Why? Because there was a rejection wound inside of me that I didn't even know I had. And so I lived my life trying to be Esau. You know, in, in such a way, and I'm, I'm not saying like, hey, you just need to be free to be you. No, I'm, I'm saying you're free to be who God has said and created you to be. Because we have a totally like different distorted thing in our culture that says just, just be you, just do whatever you want. And God's like, that's not, that's not my, best, my best for you. you. You're listening to some, some other lies. But, I, but I'm talking about in comparison with people. You know, I grew up in an environment where I had to, I had to, we had to, we had to really kind of put on a hard exterior. You know, because we didn't want people to mess with us. We didn't want, so we we had to become Esau. And, and I worked really hard at becoming Esau. And I'll never forget, we were sitting outside of my friend's house, and, and there was a guy that was just walking past. And, and you know, everybody's out there drinking. He's just walking down the street, minding his own business, and they just beat him to a pulp. And I remember, like, come on, like, you, are you, I, I didn't even have the heart to, to kick the dude. I'm like, you guys just jumped him for no reason. And so it was like I still had this tenderness inside of me, but I had to turn the other cheek and just, you know, kind of pretend. I didn't have to, but I chose to because I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't dealing with the wounds. And a lot of times we think, man, if, if I really just need to be Esau to fulfill God's plan in my life. Like, if I'm really going to fulfill God's plan, the deception is I need to be like or I need to become, 
right? And, and all of us have said this before, man, if I just had those parents, right? And man, if I just had those kids, right? If I just had those connections, if I just worked at that place, if I just went to that school, if I just had that type of a job, then, you know, then I'm going to be able to step into everything that God has called me to be. But I know me and I know myself and the reality is I'm just not qualified. And so we just strive and strive and strive to be Esau. The passage continues and goes on to say, then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth parts of his neck with the goat skins. And now it's starting to get gross, right? I mean, the fact that they thought like, like goat skin is going gonna, is gonna to represent Esau well. What does that say for Esau? Right? Like, oh, sure. That's my boy. That's it. Goat's hair? And, we, and so we, we just see this, this all, all of a sudden, this man, I, I, I have, I've bought into the lie. And now it's not even just a concept. Now I'm actually becoming. I'm, I'm, I'm putting on garments. I'm, 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 I'm dressing up. I'm, I'm trying to embody something that God has never called me to embody. It reminds me of King David getting ready to fight Goliath. He tried to put on King Saul's armor, and he, he put on the armor, and he just felt like, you know, I'm so big and heavy. He's just like, man, this just, it's not me. Like, man, just give me five stones and a sling, and let me face this giant. You know, and so, so, so we, we, we move from deception, and then, and then it starts to get a little bit more real. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. And then we start to move to disguise. And, you know, it's just, it's, an, it's another aspect. It's, a, it's, another, it's another chain. Now, not only am I, am I listening and buying into some lives, but now I'm, I'm, I'm actually living a disguise. I'm, I'm portraying something. I'm, I'm chasing something. I'm striving after something that God has never asked me to strive after. You know, I, I think many of us, if, if we're honest, many of us, we're, we're living like this right now. We're like, man, if I can just be my best Esau, if I can just be my best Esau at church, and we do this all the time, we do this at church. Like some of you, I don't even know you. How crazy is that? Like, 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 like some people know a personification of you, but they don't even really know you. And we always like to say this in small groups. We always like to say, you, you never know what it's like to be fully loved until you're fully known. Where it's like, it's like you, don't, you don't have to pretend. Because pretending is exhausting. Like at church, you know, you, get, you try to pretend, hey, everything's good. Yeah, yeah. you know. And, and it's, just, it's, just, it's just unbelievable, right? I, I mean, literally just people are like, man, how are you doing? You're like, Great. I'm so good. Isn't that what Steph Curry does, right? That's, that's, that's what he does. Yeah, I'm doing good. But, but we, we put on a different personification at church. We, we put on a different personification at family, at work. We put on a different personification at, at, at school. What about social media? Come on, listen, we put filters on our pictures. Like, but we know you. Do you know, like, you show up, we're like, that ain't you. Like, we know you. And then you have the nerve to say, hashtag no filter. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> you are lying. You are in disguise. But, but we have this persona in our, in our minds, in our hearts, and, and we think this is the way to blessing. But the truth is God can't bless the fake you. Yeah. 
God can't bless the fake you. <laughs> like, imagine this. Let me show you a picture. Like, what do you think? <laughs> Come on. If you, those of you guys who might be new to church, this is a, a famous pastor. His name is Stephen Furtick. Many of you guys listened to him before you even came here to listen to me. Thank you. Appreciate that. But like, it's, it's funny because it doesn't work. It, it's, so, it's so funny. I was talking to a good friend of mine. He was like, man, I heard this quote, and, and he, he gave me the quote. He's like, man, I, I think it was Stephen Furtick. I was like, Stephen Furtick, bro, that was me. He's like, oh, my bad. I'm like, man, don't give that dude any more credit. He's got enough popularity. No, I, I'm, I'm not mad at him. But, 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 but listen, these, these insecurities and these fears start to create this lack of trust in God. And, and what does it do? It causes us to put on some crazy disguises. And it, and it just leads to, to, to more chains. So the passage continues. And says, Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. This is like the moment of truth. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. And what did he say? He said, I am. I am. And he got the blessing. But, but there's, there's, there's something to, to you, you ever go after the, the right thing in the wrong way? And see, what was really happening wasn't a blessing at all. What was really happening, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, was dysfunction. Man, these things get heavy the more you put on. It was dysfunction. Like he thinks that he's getting closer to the promise, but he's getting there his own way, and now things are all messed up. Look, look at his brother now. His brother's just having a fit. It says that Esau's held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Like his brother wanted to kill him. His family is divided. He appeared to, to have won, but in reality he lost. He's far from God's will. And, and I think, man, as we look through our scripture and as we look at our life, this is not uncommon. This is not an uncommon narrative. I mean, Moses had a call to deliver God's people, and, and what did Moses do? Prematurely, he got upset at an Egyptian, and even though he was called to set God's people free, Moses took it into his hands and killed the man, and then went off into the desert for 40 years. Yeah, God had a call in his life, but that wasn't how he was supposed to get there. Do you, are, you, are you guys tracking with me? King David, right? It's like it, there, there was a moment where one of his best, one of his mighty men, he caught his wife bathing. It's like, man, that's, that's, that's a no-no. On top of that, that's your boy. Like he risked, he's risked his life for you. He's on the battlefield right now. And God told David, man, if you wanted, man, if, if, if it was another woman, you should have just asked. If, if what I've given you is not enough, but you took it into your own hands and you took another man's wife and the sword never departed from David's house as a result of that. There, there, there was consequences. We see this with Abraham, lying and deception. We see this with Isaac, the same, uh, some of the same issues. And now we see it with Jacob. We see this generational iniquity just permeating this home. And these guys, listen, they loved God. 
but they were still human and how to deal with their stuff. And so can I just encourage you that, listen, when God made you, he knew what he was making. And he didn't, he didn't make you to be loaded down with things that you were never meant to carry. But when we make our own way, it creates a pathway of fear. But, but when we commit to God's promise and process, there, there's a confidence that God is gonna, God's going to come through. And so, so but, but here's the deal is you may not be responsible for the wound of rejection. That may not be your responsibility, but you are responsible for the care, the aftercare of your soul And now that that has happened. Like, like you may not be responsible for the accident, but you're responsible to go to the doctor and make sure that, you know, you're getting taken care of after you've just been in a collision. It may have been their fault, but you still have to take responsibility. So a lot of times we just, we have such a hard time taking responsibility for that, guys. And so we, we, we just, we, we live laden in deception, in disguise, and in dysfunction. All while saying, I mean, praise God. Yep, all is well. Don't mind these old things. It's just, you know, no, it's, it's in style. You know what I mean? It's... I mean, some of, some of our, us, we make our chains look so pretty, don't we? We're like, man, let me just, let me, let me put one. I'm just going to wrap it around my wrist. See, no, we're good. It's the style. And, and we think we're fooling people, but we're really not. And so God ends up telling uh, Jacob, he says, listen, Jacob, it's time to go home and deal with your stuff, man. It's time to go back to the land of your fathers. And he's already faced some consequences after leaving this. But, but it's, it's really interesting how, how this, the, the rest of this plays out. So the passage continues. And it says, then send me. Uh, so, so now we're jumping to Genesis chapter 32. And, and, and you get, you get this, this understanding that, that God told uh, Jacob to go back home. I want you, it's, it's time to deal with your stuff. But he was still wrestling because he had to face his brother Esau. And so it says that the same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and the 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. So went across the river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Like he was trying to position himself. He's like, man, I don't, I don't want to lose. I don't know what Esau's going to do. I don't know how this is all going to play out. So let me just make sure you guys are safe over here. Let me make sure some of my possessions are tucked away over here. And let's try to figure out like what's going to happen. And so, so being terrified of Esau, all his resources are gone, right, in, in the sense of he, he's, he's tired. He's like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of, of living this life. I'm exhausted. And he finds himself alone. And I just think sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have enough time alone with God in such a way where it's like, man, let me go ahead and put everything over here. And let me come over here and just be alone with you. And that may have not been his total plan, but he is alone. And now God is about to get his attention. And the passage now continues. And it says that a a man wrestled with him. Many scholars believe this was a pre-incarnate Christ. This was Christ pre-incarnate before the virgin womb. Because Jesus just didn't, you know, become God, you know, when he was born of a virgin. No, he always was, always is, and will always be. Are you guys with me on that? Okay. 
And so, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day uh, has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so up to this point, this Jacob's, you know, MO has been lying, manipulating, um, all of his wrestling um, was, was trying to get ahead and trying to get things himself. He has the woman of his dreams. He is wealthy now, but it's not working. And so he finds himself in this wrestling match with God, and finally he comes to his senses, and he says, man, I'm going to start to deal with some of this stuff. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. He dropped the first chain when he grabbed a hold of Jesus. He said, man, I, I, I've been grabbing everything. I'm not trying to grab the blessing. I'm trying to grab you, that you would bless me. I'm not chasing the blessing anymore. I'm chasing you. I'm tired of the mask. I'm tired of the cover-up. I'm tired of this. I need you. And I just think a lot of times we, listen, we will spend our life wrestling with people until we finally get alone and decide to wrestle with God. Like so many of us, listen, if we would wrestle with God, that wrestle with people would, get a, would diminish a whole lot. And so, so here he's like, listen, I'm not letting go until I have an encounter with you, until I am marked in such a way that I am never going to be the same. So I'm just, I'm not letting you go. When's the last time you wrestled with God like that? Alone. Just toiled with God. I love what John chapter, uh, John chapter 15 says. It says that I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Meaning, meaning there's, there's, there's a, a way that things work. And when we abide, this word means to make our home in. When we grab a hold of Jesus and say, man, I'm going to make my home in you. Listen, God produces a fruit in our life. There, there's there's, there, there's a, a, a real healing. There's a, a, a real working out of things. There's, there's a, a, a real touch that's beyond fabrication. Like, like to produce fruit, it just means that it's working properly. Just as, you know, a branch that's connected to the vine would bear much fruit. It's, it's working in harmony. It's, it, it, there's a completion. There's a success. And there's great success if we would grab a hold of the one of the promise and who has the right process for you and I. And so it continues and it says this. It says, the man asked him, what is your name? Now this is the, the second moment of truth. What is your name? And finally, he says, it's Jacob. It's Jacob. It's not Esau the manipulator, the cheater, the deceiver, the master of disguise, the second born. It's Jacob. It's me. See, the second chain came off. You're taking notes. You can jot this down. Is when he got honest with himself and God. Like some of us, we just need the, the truth of God to set us free. Right? We've allowed the world to define us way too long of who we should be. And what success really looks like. And we've justified our sinful actions trying to make ourselves feel better. Not realizing that what God is saying, listen, I'm inviting you just to say, I am Jacob. That if we would confess our sin, the scripture says that he is faithful and just to forgive us. That if we confess our sins to one another, man, he is faithful to bring healing and wholeness to us. 
But confession should be a normal part of our life. It's not a bad thing. But the enemy just lies to us and says, you don't want, you can't. You can't say that. You can't be honest. You'll be more rejected. God says, man, it's a lie. We should invite Jesus in be honest with ourselves and be honest with God. Passage goes on and says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You know, this name Israel, it, it, it literally means God strives, or some have translated it, one who wrestles with God. But most commentators, most scholars put out God strives because it doesn't necessarily quote unquote fit with the context, but I think it really does. I think it does because it's, it's almost now for once Jacob is done striving in and of himself. And it looks more like striding. Like, like you can strive or you can stride. Are you with me on that? And, and now God working on his behalf. That's what he needed. What he was longing for was a surrender. And God said, man, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a brand new name. And some of you are in Christ, you've already got that name and you need to be reminded of it. And some of you guys, maybe you're not in Christ, but scripture says very clear, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that if you would, uh, if, if you would uh, that anybody who's in Christ, he's a new creation, that old things have passed away and behold, all things become brand new. See, see in the scripture, a new name. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Man, a new beginning. A new name met a new beginning. So let, let me leave you with this. I, Pastor Chase and I, we were dialoguing. We talk about scripture all the time together. We wrestled through the text together. It was so much fun. But we're talking about this word transformation. This word transformation in, in the Greek, it's, it's metamorpha. It comes from the word where we get metamorphosis, right? The caterpillar and the butterfly. Did, did you know that the caterpillar, the reason why the caterpillar, if not, if not, um, if, if, if not able to cocoon, do you know how the caterpillar dies? From a, he dies of thirst. Thirst. And so, so I wonder if just sometimes the, the new beginning that God wants to give us, some of us like the caterpillar, God is saying, will you come alone with me? Will you come, will you come into the cocoon of my presence? And, and let me work on you. Let me transform you. Let me revive you. Let me heal you. Let me give you a new name. So that you're not out here dying of thirst for what you really need. He says, you thought you needed a new mask. God says, no, I want to give you a new beginning. But you got to deal with the old one. 